Welcome back to season three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season has been focused on interviewing people who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. If that sounds like you, reach out. We can talk about having you on the show, too. As much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. This is what keeps the show on the air. You can also show support by purchasing one of my many books or donating through PayPal. You can find the links to either option in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. Of course, I'm Amanda Blackwood, your host. I have a lovely young lady with me today. Uh, Her name is Carol. Carol has had quite the uh, journey of grief and trauma, but I'm going to have her tell it to you because she's going to do it better than I will. Uh, Carol, welcome to the show. Hello, Amanda, and thank you so much for inviting me. I'm honored to be a guest on your program. And I looked also at your profile, and I'm definitely impressed. I think what you're doing, uh, reaching out to others like us that have suffered from grief and trauma, is um, it's just a remarkable act on your part. And I'm glad, like I said, I'm really glad to be here. One of my favorite places to start is early childhood. Where are you originally from? I was born in Chicago, and I lived there in the city for the first 10 years of my life. And I really learned how to become street smart. Back back then, you know, I'm going to tell you my age for your audience. I'm 78, I'll be 79, um, December 29th of this year. But back then, uh, I remember my sister, Diane, she's two years, nine months older than I am. And we used to walk about two miles to go to the show on main busy streets in in Chicago. And uh, yeah, to go to the movies and go to Riverview. If any of you are from the Midwest, you know, maybe you remember, of course, as old as I am, you will remember Riverview. But that is something that's absolutely unheard of today. I would no more let my grandchildren walk (laughs) those streets to anywhere. Right. And, well, and Chicago has a long history of violence dating back to the 20s and 30s. Yeah, right. But I, I was brought up on the north side, and that's been pretty safe up until the last five five years from what I heard. I moved out. I'm, I'm living now in Florida, and I moved here two years ago, but I still have family living back back home. They're not in Chicago, but they're in the suburbs, 50, 60 miles uh, east North, wow. I should say, northeast of downtown Chicago, but they they give me the information how bad it is. You don't even want to go into the loop anymore. Our beautiful, beautiful downtown um, Chicago is is no longer what it used to be. Oh, that's a shame. So, how many family members did you have? You said that you, it was you and your sister. Yeah, I had two sisters. Well, I'm in the middle, and uh, like I said, we grew up in. Chicago and then well after 10 years old we moved to the suburbs and 
basically I'm from a, a typical average American family. And back then we didn't talk uh, about going to college. My parents worked in factories. They were um, hard workers and we didn't have the money to even consider you know, going to college. So college wasn't talked at our dinner table. What mm. was talked at our table was believe it or not, um, my, my father was an inventor for, for factories and he would make tools. He would watch the workers and he would uh, make tools to enhance production. And my mother on the other hand, she was very crafty. She was an artist, she was a seamstress. And, but she also worked in a factory, so I would listen to her. Well, through all of that, in my uh, later years of life, I started my own business and it, it had to do with oil of all things. Maybe because I heard my mom and dad talking about it all the time, I became a distributor uh, in my own profession. So oh. that being said, uh, I, I was lucky I didn't need college. I worked my way up through business um, and proved myself on my quality of work and uh, things that I knew and accomplished. I think wow. today, yeah, but today, Amanda, it, it's it's not that way. I have uh, you know, a couple grandchildren and I tell, you know, told them all the time, you've got to go to college. Today, yes, you need college. Uh, this is a different time that we're living in and, yeah. um, so that's about basically it about me as, <laughs> as a young person. And I'd like to kind of jump into why I'm on this podcast, because I'm really anxious to tell your audience that I've got a lot of hope I'm going to give you today. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes, please do, Carol. What, what was your trauma? What happened that forced you to kind of take this new turn in life? This was back when I was 47 years old. I had two daughters. Uh, my youngest daughter was 24 years old. Uh, we're going on now 31 years, but the name of my book is 30 because when I started writing it, it was the first part of the 30th year of her death. So I have survived with so much pain and grief, illness. I just want to let you know that there's hope for you. If, if you lost any loved one, and the hope that I'm going to put on the table is through God. As far as I'm concerned, I wouldn't be here if I did not have God in my life. You and me both. Yeah, it, it's simple. It, it's so simple. You just have to believe me that don't turn your head away from God. When you have a traumatic event happen to you and you talk to God, you don't need to say the Hail Mary. Just talk to him. Ask him to help you. I did. I asked Jesus to carry me. I love that poem about walking on the, the beach. And oh, the, yeah. The footprints uh, in the sand. Yes. And can you relate to that, Amanda, what I'm talking about as far as, you know, being lifted by God and being carried? Oh, yeah. This no. was my darkest moment. Where were you at that time? I only see my footprints and God answers. Those aren't your footprints. I carried you. I know. And, and I'll tell yeah. you, <laughs> I know I asked, I asked to be carried so many times that, yeah. uh, you know, I was taking away time maybe from other people and I apologize that, but I did need help. I really did. 
But my baby, she was 24 when she died. She died of a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot to the heart. Um, Goodness. Yeah. Well, it actually is, it starts in the lungs, it, you know, goes, travels, gets up in the lungs. And then from there, it, it winds up in the heart. And then, boom, she was in the emergency room. And I was not there. I had no idea this was happening. It was in the wee hours of the morning on March the 19th. She was 1992. And mm. she was in... Uh, uh, the emergency room, the doctor was not present, but she had two nurses working on her, trying to get an IV in her, and she died. She died on the table. They, oh, my gosh. But, but they didn't accept her death. They brought in a team of surgeons, and they operated on her, and they took out the blood clots, and they hooked her up to equipment. I got to the hospital hours later. I was called at 7 a.m. in the morning. And I got to the hospital. I explain all this in my book, kind of like step by step, because the trauma of this led to the big, you know, the big trauma, the big shock of realizing or trying to realize that you have just lost your child. She's gone. And when I got to the hospital, she was on all this equipment. I did not feel her soul. Her eyes were dilated. And all I could mm. say was, why is my baby? Why is she hooked up to all this stuff? Um, the uh, equipment that she had, the screen that showed her heartbeat and her brainwave, her brainwave was a flat line. Can you believe a flat line? And I had to go through that for 48 hours. Once they hook them up on the equipment, they cannot take the equipment off um, until 48 hours. So I sat there um, on and off for the next 48 hours uh, viewing my daughter, praying and hoping, I don't know, hoping for a miracle. But as they told me, if she did somehow, some way come back, if her brainwave started functioning, that she had 5% chance um, of even being normal. So that means 95% chance of what? Being a vegetable? So I had also been warned that I would have to sign papers when the time was up to get her off the equipment. So that was a burden on me, uh, signing those papers. So that was another issue that I had to pray to God on. During those 48 hours, all I can tell all of you good people, is that I prayed. I had my fiance. I was getting married in two weeks. Can you believe that? Oh. I, my daughter dies and I'm getting, I've met somebody, never thought I'd get married again. I never thought I would want to get married again. Met a wonderful man and we were getting married in two weeks. My two daughters really cared for him, were happy for us. And, and this happened. So it was like, you know, the, uh, Bittersweet. I call it bittersweet. The bitter, of course, is the death. And the sweet was, was the love I had for a man that I just, you know, uh, knew for a year. And we decided <laughs> to make it official and be married. So wow. that was um, all of it. It was like a nightmare, a living nightmare. And God was 
probably the only the only thing that kept me going because I was able to feel his spirit within me and it was like to hold me up and it did give me strength he did give me strength I had some really good friends too I had a couple close longtime friends and I just wrapped myself around them but the process of getting better and healing is you start with God and then you listen, you listen to what he tells you, and then you do it. I was told to help myself. And there's just so many steps involved from the beginning to the wrong course of 30 years. Um, after, I'll skip to after she was buried. Uh, she was in the hospital for 48 hours, and then we had to, you know, just decide on where to bury her. Everything was so new. I never went through anything like this in my whole entire life, um, more or less just burying my child. And, but things happened that made me, it was like coincidences. And of course, everyone heard that cliche that there are no coincidences in life. Everything happens for a reason. Well, I wound up pick selecting um, a crypt in a mausoleum and there weren't that many crypts left and I saw this one it was over the altar and I said you know is that one available and yes it was and it wound up to be when I went to sign the papers it was crypt number 30. My daughter was born on September 30th and <clears throat> So that started the ball rolling on why I named the book 30. Uh, throughout, wow. yeah, just Amanda, throughout this 30 year period, it just, the number 30 kept on coming up over and over again. I also bought the crypt next to my daughter. Uh, don't ask me why, I was told <laughs> to do it by God, mm -hmm. by the Holy Spirit to buy it, and I did 30 years later. My sister, my older sister died, and that was last year. And my brother-in-law asked me if he could buy it from me and have her place there. So my sister, my older sister, Diane, is next to my daughter, Paula. Wow. And she was born on March 30th. So we have another 30. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's like, it's really kind of crazy, but you know, this is what happens over a period of time. You know, when I say 30 years, can you stop and kind of think about how long 30 years is? Well, 30 now, years ago, I was a 13 year old child. How much has happened in your lifetime of 30 years? <laughs> just so much. Yeah, I, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened just in the last 10 years. Multiplying that by three is just exponential. Yeah, the first 10 years of her after her death, I'm going to just say was the hardest. A child, that first 10 years is so critical. It's so critical that you stay healthy, that you do everything you can do. I write about this in my book. I tell you, please, whatever you do, if you need therapy, get yourself a therapist. However, if you're Christian like I am, please make sure your therapist believes in God. 
Make yes. sure you could talk about God at those sessions. Um, I, I did not reach out to a therapist. Um, I went to a hospital within the first a month after she died. I went to a hospital where they had uh, group therapy. And there were 10 people sitting around the table with the therapist. And I was the last one who spoke. And I remember so very clearly each one of the, the people that, and this was not just for a child, this was for anyone that, that had died in their lives at that moment, that they were there for grief. And no one talked about God. Not one person brought up God. Oh. And so it was my turn. And I just, that was the first thing I said. I can't believe that no one said anything about God to me. I'm here. I'm here in this Christian hospital because I thought this is where I was going to get some, you know, strength. I need, I need strength. I need to be replenished. I need more of God in me. I don't have enough because I'm not getting well. I don't know where to go or what to do. And yes. so, you know, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. This is the way I felt. And, um, you know, I, after the meeting, um, I, I left and I never went back. You know, I look now when I wrote the book and I came to that section that I was writing about it, about that episode that happened to me in the first therapy group, I knew that I made a mistake not going back. The person that I turned out to be 30 years later, I would never have left that meeting. I would have stayed. I would have gone back and I would have taken those people on and tried to tell them about God. Yeah. That's why I'm here today. I wanted to get my book out there to help people, to give them hope. I grew spiritually. For over 30 years. I mean, I changed so much. Um, I remember before my daughter died, I went to church. I had communion. I prayed. If I said the rosary, I couldn't wait till I got done with the rosary because it was so boring. Now I say the rosary every day. I relate to it. I, I live the five mysteries of the rosary. And I know a lot of Christians don't believe in the rosary. But the rosary is just the story of Jesus. That's all it is. And right now, here we are in Holy Week. Week, And that is so, so special to me. Because yes, I do believe in Jesus. If any of you decide to buy my book, chapter three is the heart of the book. It's where I came to terms with myself as to what I needed to do. And that was to be strong, get out of bed, don't be depressed. Start working again. Start communicating again. Start yeah. doing things for yourself that you like to do. I'm an artist, so I started painting again. Of course, I had a full-time job, so I did that part-time. I did that on the side, but I loved art, so that made me happy. God tells you what to do. Yeah, but Amanda, you and I both know he gave us that free will. So we have to do the work. Right, right. And we also have to pay attention to those who are still with us too. I mean, did you find that you're, uh, I'm assuming you did still get married. 
I got married. And okay. uh, thank you for bringing this up, really, because yeah. the other people, number one, when you lose someone that you love, people are going to expect you to get over it pretty soon. Let's face it, like, what how, What would you say, Amanda, two, three months, maybe six months, the maximum? Oh. They're not going to get over it, but they think, let's move on. That's how long it takes to stop crying about it every day in front of people. Yeah. yeah. It takes and a if, lot longer than that to move on from it. And if you learn how to front, that's the psychological term for faking or acting. I was so good at that. Everyone thought I was doing so good because yeah. I smiled and, and I was doing things with my new husband and, you know, we were going out here and there and I was having dinner parties with family and friends, but in my heart, it was like, I wanted to scream. I wanted to scream in front of everyone that stop, I'm hurting. Yeah. And, you know, all this time later, when I think of those times, I want to cry because, and when I wrote this book, let me tell you, I cried so much because I was remembering things. I was remembering a lot of things. One of my big problems, I wound up having MS scars on my brain, which blocked out some of my memory. I wound up having four back operations. This is part of my trauma. This is part of why I'm here to tell you, please take care of yourself. I was doctoring through all of this for 30 years, but it was one thing after another. But what God did for me, he kept me alive. He got me through those operations. I wound up having cardiomyopathy, which is a heart disease. They didn't know why I got it. No reason. They called it non-ischemic, which means that it could be they didn't they didn't know how or why I got it. Could have been caused from a virus. One doctor said it could be caused by a broken heart. And oh, I think I'm going to take the broken heart syndrome. That's yep. what happened to me. And that was uh, a, that was over the 20 year mark. I got that. You know, but, a lot of people don't, they, they don't even really understand what broken heart syndrome is. They think that just means hurting. And it's an actual medical diagnosis. Yes. It's where I didn't have a blockage like a lot of people get. And I didn't have a heart attack. I just got so tired. I became very, very tired. I couldn't walk upstairs. It was without from the basement up to the main level without stopping and and trying to catch my breath. I wouldn't got examined and they discovered that I had the damaged heart. My heart was weakened. It was just um, wasn't pumping enough. You know, the average reading, they did a Doppler on me and the average reading for a normal heart is anywhere between, um, I'd say like 50, 55 to 70. And I came in at 14, 14 oh. and five is the beginning of death. Well, 14 is so low. I mean, they, they really were concerned that I, you know, that I had a serious, serious problem, but I lived through it. I mean, I, I doctored and I'm, I'm still here. That was about eight years ago. And wow. so God wants me to, uh, I guess, spread the word that this trauma that you have, 
you have to fight it. You have to eat well. If you have to go to the doctor, you've got to do that. You have to look for signs of becoming sick because you could be top-notch healthy, but this grief is going to knock your health down unless you address it. Am I right, Amanda, on that? Absolutely. There are so many long-term consequences of not dealing with it. I kind of would say that the biggest thing about the grief for me was the illnesses. Yeah. Um, I, I, I gradually accepted and was living with Paula's death, but it was my illnesses that really I had to work on. And um, that was the hardest thing. I have another daughter that gave me a lot of love and, and, and was there for me. So that helped. And that's why your family is so important. And the people that you love are so important. And okay, yeah. if they think that you should move on, I guess, you know, they mean well, don't get mad at them. <laughs> I used to get mad, you know, I really did. Yeah. I Not in front of them, but I used to really get kind of tipped that that's the way they were. And, but now I, I look back and I think well, it's not their fault. They, you know, they, they care about you. They just don't know what it feels like because they're not experiencing the pain. Right. The, the, what a journey this has been for you the last 31 years now. Yes. I, I've heard it pretty frequently throughout my life that one of the worst pains that anybody can ever feel is losing a child because you should never outlive your own child. Yeah, it's against nature. And another yeah. of the big things too is that um, I came up with why it hurts so much. I never, you know, I never thought would thought, think of anything like this unless it happened to me. And this helps people when I tell them, why do you hurt so much by losing a child? You hurt so much. Now, at the same time, you've got to remember, I'm married now to another man, not, not the biological father. He's yes. another, he's a, he's a father, but not my children. And he's there to help me. He doesn't have the same hurt and feelings that I have. So I'm able to go to him for help. I'm able to go to him to talk to, and he's able there to take it in and help me and not feel what I'm feeling, but be there for me to help me, pull me up out of that black, dark pit that I'm in. Yeah. So yeah. that was an advantage to me. What happens is if you're married to the dad, you too know right up front you've got extra work to do because you have to take care of your own grief, but you have to help each other. Especially if you have other children, don't rob your other children because you have so much grief that you can't jump on that hurdle and fight this grief and help each other. Do you know that the divorce rate is so high with parents that lose a child? Oh yeah, it's something like 90%. Uh, yeah, it is. I know, I mean, I wonder if I was married to my first husband, would we have been able to survive that? I don't know, but I had a yeah. different situation and my situation was to my advantage, but not all of you are gonna have that. Right. That's a really a, a very big thing is to 
you don't know that you you can get help that way. You need you need each other. So if you're married, it's the biological mother and father for that child. Help each other. And another big part of this is know that when your child dies, you lose a big piece of yourself. You yeah. you lose something. Not it's not like it's tissue, but it's part of your heart. It's part of your mind, your memories, your love, your future. Your family circle has now changed. You no longer have this family circle like it was before they died. She or he is gone, and now you have to replace that. Yeah. You don't replace it with another child. You have to replace it with your health, your mind, you. And your relationship with who you have at the time. You have to build that circle with your other family, your children. Please don't neglect your other children. I've talked to other women who have gone through this and they say, oh, Carol, I wished I, wished I would have paid more attention. You know, and, and maybe they felt even selfish, but just remember you're not alone in this. They have their pain too. Yeah. What do you think is one of the most helpful things that somebody can do if they know somebody who's lost a child or a loved one? Six months goes by. Nobody's talking about your child anymore. You know, pick up the phone and call your friend, call the, the, the mom and ask her to lunch. Feel her out. Use your own intuition. See, see if she's the same as she was before she lost her child. And if you're really close, you've got, you've got the right and the obligation, even to yourself, to find out if you could help her. Tell her at lunch or tell her on the telephone. Tell her wherever you could reach her. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Is there anything I can do for you? I'm here for you. Reach out to them. Remember, you don't know what it feels like if you've never lost a child. That is why two mothers that meet that have lost children, they can bond very easily. This has happened to me over and over again the last 30 years, 31 years, over and over. It's because we know what each other went through. Maybe not the same circumstance or maybe not even the same depth, but it's still, we understand that it's part of us that have, that have died. Yeah. It's a, such a close entity. Another thing too, Amanda, is how your child died. My daughter died in a hospital. Even if the doctor wasn't there, two loving nurses were there. I read the report. They were talking to her, trying to encourage her, trying to give her hope. She was not raped. She was not murdered like Jesus Christ was murdered on the cross where Mary had to watch him die. I did not witness that. That's my chapter three. I did not witness that. Had a death in which I didn't have to have that extra suffering. I can't imagine how to, how does the mom feel 
if your child is murdered by a gun or raped and murdered or goodness, an accident that happened by another, a drunk driver over and over again, I've talked to, to moms and it's like, when this happens, it's, it's extra, extra hard to survive. It really is. Um, the death of a mother, this was on a radio station, a very well-known man, which I'm announcer, I'm not going to say his name, but he's, and this is a few years back, he was talking, they did a survey on the death of a mother is usually within the first 10 years of losing their child. Can you oh. Did you hear that, Amanda? Wow. I mean, that that's incredible. That is just absolutely, and, and no mention of the age. doesn't matter how old the, the mom is, okay? Right. It's what caused it. They could be in the best health of their lives, but they yes. decline quickly. I mean, just thinking instantly here of uh, celebrity moms and daughters. When Carrie Fisher died, Debbie Reynolds went the very next day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that something? Every day of your life from there on, you will find that if by praying and by your faith, first of all, your faith is going to grow. You're, you're going to get stronger. I promise you that he's the one, God is the one that helps you. God is the one who is divine. Carol, do you have a part of your book that you would be willing to read for the audience? I think what I'd like to read more than anything else, it's really short, but I, you know, I told you I'm an artist and um, I live uh, in Florida and there's a photographer that was on Facebook that was taking photographs of eagles. So, you know, eagles are in the Bible. I think it's in Revelation. And um, which, by, by the way, I do go to Bible class now. Can you believe I'm 78 years old and I go to Bible class? <laughs> so I'm learning the Bible. My, my wonderful, beautiful Catholic Catholicism never taught me the Bible. So now I'm learning the Bible. The, the eagles in Revelation and this photographer he did eight shots of this eagle flying. And one of the shots was on Facebook. I said, that's the cover of my book. With this eagle, his wings spread wide. And here's the, and I wrote a poem when I was writing the book. I wrote a poem because I already had my painting. I got the photograph. The photographer gave me permission to paint it. And so I, I had the, I had the painting sitting in front of me and I was at my computer and here it is. I visualized I was standing in the middle of a field looking up into the baby blue sky. The clouds are fluffy like huge cotton balls spreading across as far as one can see. The sun's rays are glimmering, shining through and beyond the clouds down to the earth as I, a faint rainbow starts to appear. Then out of nowhere comes this beautiful eagle with its wings spread wide, gliding downward as it picks up Paula's soul and carries her up to heaven. Wow. That makes me cry, okay? but I love that poem. And I don't know how I wrote it. The Holy Spirit wrote that for me. 
I made in, in three months, my book is number one bestseller on Amazon. Wow. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. The Holy Spirit did that for me because I would write and I would come up to my computer the next day and I would read what I wrote and I would say, wow, who did that? How did I, how did I do that? Now I'm trying to do blogs and I need the Holy Spirit back in me because I'm having trouble writing my <laughs> blogs. So, but that was during the book, you know? Wow. So I owe that to God. He wants this message out there. Yes. Yes, he does. He knows this message is needed out there. Thank you, Amanda, very much. Carol, there's always one last question that I ask my guests before I let them go. It's my favorite question. It kind of rolls everything all into one. What is one thing that you love about yourself that's not related to your physical appearance? I don't know why I love to give things away. Um, you know, during these 30, I, I'll say 31 years now, the book is 30, but I don't make it 31. I, I, uh, I painted more than I ever did. You know, I painted a lot. And I also uh, learned jewelry designing and I, I became a jewelry designer while I was making a business to survive and having money. But I, I gave so much away um, during that course of paintings, especially my paintings, uh, to uh, charity functions, you know, like the big one is uh, abortion, you know, uh, the, the group that is against abortion. But the giving part on me makes me happy. And I think all that stuff, and I gave a lot of jewelry away, but the women love it. They, they call me, oh, I got complimented on your necklace and that. And I was blessed because I could afford it. I had a job, so that was taking care of the living expenses. And my husband, of course, he was a dentist, so we weren't hurting for money. We're average people. But um, that was what I loved the most about myself is that I love to share. And I think maybe this is why I did the book, because I'm sharing Paula. You've kept her alive for all these 30 years with your memory and your love. And I think that her story is something that should be. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description. There you're going to find links on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support the podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted. But I can say that I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed their interview, please feel free to let them know. You can also tune into my other podcast, Growth from Darkness, which is co-hosted by a lovely lady from Australia. We talk about what trauma responses are and healthy ways to move beyond the past. For more information, just go to growthfromdarkness.com. <laughs>